Chapter 6 of The Teacup Club. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teacup Club by Eliza Armstrong. Chapter 6 The Pioneer New Woman. I think the topic for today's discussion should be The Pioneer New Woman, observed the president of the Teacup Club. Have you all got that down in your notebooks? You don't know how it pleases me to see your methodical ways. It shows the real intellectual advancement of our club. Why, for my part, I have gained so much that I am not afraid to discuss any subject with anyone. We have advanced. I feel it, too. By the way, has anyone seen my notebook? I haven't had it for three weeks. Are you sure that none of you have gotten it by mistake? I forgot to put my name in it, and... I know where it is. You loaned it to Kate. She told me so herself, in order that she might read up on some of the topics we have already discussed, and so qualify for admission to the club. I shall blackball her, for my part. She is so frivolous that she would drag down a high standard. Besides, she once left me out when she gave a luncheon, and told people that it was because she had all the decorations in yellow, and feared they would not shade with my complexion. Oh well, Kate is colour blind anyway. Yes, and she is a little deaf too and really does not know just how sharp her own speeches sound. Perhaps not, but I shall blackball her just the same. By the way, Alice is giving a birthday dinner party next week. Twenty-six covers, one for each year. Clever idea, isn't it? For whose birthday? Her own? Ah, really. I knew she was forgetful, but this is carrying it too far. I wonder why otherwise sensible people will tell such stories about their ages. I'm sure I don't know. Neither do I. Of course, it doesn't matter who knows my age as yet. Nor mine. Nor mine either. No, indeed. I got 22 birthday gifts the other day on my 22nd birthday. Are you 22? Why, so am I. Just my own age too. And mine. How odd. That is one of the advantages of the new womanhood. It's beautiful candor. Now, I tell everybody that I am 22 years old. I wish you would tell Mrs Van Tompkins. She wouldn't take my word for it the other day, though I told her that I couldn't be mistaken, as you had told me so at least six times in the last 18 months. Cora asked me the other day if there were any age qualification for membership in this club remarked the girl with the eyeglasses during the slight pause which followed the last speech. She says that she has not yet celebrated her 21st birthday. Born on the 29th of February then, wasn't she? Yes, it is true that the new womanhood is breaking down old traditions. We are not at all jealous of each other now. Of course not. We have learned to value our own attractions properly. Why, the other day I stopped Amy and Fred to tell her there was a dab of powder on her nose. Formerly, another girl would have been jealous of her dazzling complexion, and let her go on as she was. How sweet of you. And yet I doubt if she was really grateful. That was not the question, dear. I... Oh dear. If my watch is right, it is time to adjourn. And yet... Why, here is Elise. What has made you late today? A discussion with a stupid man. Only think, he actually said that no woman was mathematician enough to count up her own birthdays correctly. 
I was so enraged. Why, he said that I am twenty-two is the same thing to a girl as Polly wants a cracker is to a parrot, or the Spanish Fandango to a guitar player. But what on earth is wrong? You all look so queer. It's nothing at all, dear. We were just looking at your new hat, is all. I think your watch must have stopped, Evelyn, dear, for mine is only— Perhaps it has. Tom talks so much, sometimes, that I quite forget to wind it. Oh, well, it needs a rest sometimes. I know that mine— Oh, dear. I know I am a fright today, and nothing but a sense of duty has brought me here. Why, I actually have not had a chance to curl my hair properly for six days, and— Been getting ready for your new gown, have you? I only wish I had mine off my mind. It wasn't my new gown. It was Tom. He has had a heavy cold, and the house smells so strong of camphor that there will not be a moth within a block of it this year. I don't mind being bidden a tragic farewell at midday, but I do mind being waked up at midnight for that purpose. But it was nothing serious, was it? I thought the other day, when he came to the top of the stairs and called to you that he was dying, that a man who was breathing his last would manage to do it with less noise. Oh, pshaw! That was nothing to the time he waked me up at one o'clock in the morning to tell me that he was dying. But if I let that mug-faced young preacher, who used to come to see me, officiate at his funeral, he would come back and haunt me. It took a hot water bottle, a mustard plaster, two hot toddies, and the camphor to quiet him that time. <laughs> I wonder why a man always thinks a cold or a boil fatal, when he has it. Perhaps he doesn't himself, but he always wants the women of the family to act as if they did. Very true. But do you know what Dolly does? As soon as her husband complains of being ill, she begins to weep and tear her hair and lament that he will die, she knows he will. That frightens him. And when she insists upon putting him to bed and giving him a bowl of hot ginger tea, which he detests, he pretends that he was only joking and flees to the office when she calls him up every half hour to ask how he is. She says he seldom complains of his health nowadays. You know my sister Amelia, don't you? Well, her husband had a heavy cold last week. He waked her up at two o'clock to tell her that he was dying and that he knew he had not been a good husband to her and could not go without her forgiveness. She wept and said that he had not been very nice to her and had never given her half enough money. Upon this, the dying man sat up and began to argue the case. From argument they passed to something warmer. He went down to the office the next day and hasn't said a word about dying since. I wouldn't mind Tom thinking he was dying once in a while if he'd only allow me the same privilege occasionally. He won't, though. He comes in and says cheerfully, Oh, you'll soon be all right. You should have seen how much worse I was once when I had it and never missed a day at the office either. The last time he did that, my throat was too sore for me to reply properly, and I really thought I should die of rage. And no wonder. As if a woman can't always stand more than a man anyhow. For instance, I wonder how many of them could go out in thin shoes and without overshoes as we do. And yet you never hear a girl say that she has caught cold in that way. Never. We have too much fortitude. 
My cousin Edith's husband used to be always complaining of his health, until this last winter I wondered what had caused his miraculous recovery until she told me a few days ago. She was away from home and received a telegram saying that she must come at once if she wanted to see him alive. The message was delayed, being improperly addressed, and when she reached home expecting to find him dead, he met her at the door. It seems that he had called in a new doctor who was the cause of his miraculous recovery. He said he would never have another physician to prescribe for him as long as he lived. Completely cured, eh? Not that time. Next time he was ill and the new doctor appeared, he turned out to be an old admirer of Edith's. Her husband is frightfully jealous, and Edith's potential second husband is a very real person to him. Edith, as a nurse, always went out into the hall to talk with the doctor after his call. She says she is sure that she did not remain away so very long, but when she came back, after the first visit, her husband sulked. After the second he raved, and after the third he got up, declaring he'd live if only to spite them both. And now the doctor points to him as an example of his remarkable healing powers. Speaking of old sweethearts, what do you think happened to me the other day? I was calling on Mrs. Van Smith and her guest, as she had requested. Both of them happened to be out, and, to my annoyance, I found I had no cards with me. At last, I found one of Tom's in my card case, and I left that, knowing that Mrs. Van Smith would understand. Well, and didn't she? Perhaps. But the visitors didn't. It turned out that she used to be engaged to Tom. While I was in kindergarten, I suppose. It seems that his card was handed to her, and you should have seen the unbelieving smile with which she listened to my explanation of the matter. You poor dear. You must have been as angry as if someone had trodden on your gown. A rather unpleasant thing happened to Florence the other day, too. Molly was calling on her, and a note was handed in. She thought it was from Teddy Croesus, and pretended that she had ink on her fingers, asked Molly to open it for her, which she did. How stupid of Molly. She might have known that it was some trick of Florence's. Was it a proposal from Teddy? It wasn't from Teddy at all. Handwritings are so much alike nowadays. It was a bill from the hairdresser, of whom Florence had bought those lovely little curls which cluster around her brow. And Molly read it aloud as she had requested. But who told you about it? Molly? You didn't suppose it was Florence, did you? I declare, it made me feel like trying to persuade both of them to join our club. There isn't a girl in it that would do such a mean thing, and the example might... No, it wouldn't. They are too frivolous. Oh, girls, I sometimes wish that the men who dance with us could hear the serious discussions which go on in this club. So harmoniously, too. True. Not one unkind word has been spoken, even of the absent, since we organised. I wonder if as much can be said of any other club. I doubt it. And it isn't as if we couldn't think of clever things to say about people, either. Of course not. Why, I know some things, even about the other members, which... So do I. Why, I heard the other day that you... Of course I wouldn't mention for the world. Finished the girl with the Roman nose, in some agitation. I thought not, dear. It would hardly be wise. For you especially. I'm sure I don't see why I... Ass don't you, dear? But then you never were clever. Yes, I am very proud of the amiability we have all displayed since joining the club. I must say that I didn't expect. 
I don't see why not. As for me, I can get along with anybody, so I was not at all afraid. Yes, dear. Your tongue would be a protection, even if... Other people were even more envious of me? That is hardly possible, dear, but I thank you for your good opinion of me. Don't overwhelm me with gratitude, dearest. I really do not deserve it. But luckily for you, love, people seldom get their deserts. Oh, girls, don't quarrel, said the President, wringing her hands. I've always wanted this to be different from a man's club, and now... Really, Evelyn, you seem to be the one who is doing the quarrelling, said the brown-eyed blonde tartly. As for me, I am naturally amiable, and... It is not your fault if your temper is a bit soured by repeated disappointments. Of course not. Everybody says it is no wonder. I... I resign from this club. I'll not stay here another minute to be insulted. Girls, girls, do be reasonable. I... This is the first time I was ever accused of being unreasonable. And all I've got to say is that I pity Tom from the bottom of my heart and... I don't doubt but that you'd be glad to comfort him if I was dead, sobbed the president. If this is all I am to get for keeping you at peace during the meetings, I'll just resign and let you run the club to suit yourselves. And a pretty mess you'll, you'll make of it and she retired behind her handkerchief. I'll resign to this very minute. I knew just how it would be when Dorothy asked me to join the club, but... You were afraid to refuse lest something happen, and you didn't know all about it. Well, I wish to tender my resignation from the club to take effect at once. And so do I. And I. I, too. What? Why, then, there's nobody left! exclaimed the blue-eyed girl, gazing about the room in astonishment. Oh, what, what will all the men of our set say when they hear of this? I never thought of that. I know well enough that without thinking. They will say that women never can agree among themselves. And they will keep on saying it, in spite of the fact that it is a baseless libel. Uh, of course. I am not a angry, only hurt. I am not angry at all, only distressed that the others... I'm sure I... I haven't had a hard feeling against any... anybody. Nor I. Mercy, no. If anybody is sorry for having hurt my feelings, I'm quite ready to forgive it. And so am I. Then I don't see that any of us need resign. Does anybody remember the topic under discussion? The pioneer new woman. And a very interesting topic it is, I'm sure. Hear, hear, said the girl with the Roman nose, as she tucked her handkerchief into her belt. One thing is always a mystery to me. Why does no female creature ever acknowledge that she is a new woman until she is quite an old one? Oh, well, by that time, her years will entitle her to a seat in a streetcar, even if she wears bloomers. Who really was the pioneer new woman? Eve. Although she did not call herself by that name, I believe. So as far as I can see, the new woman is just like all the rest of us. She wants to get everything she can out of the world and give as little as possible in return. And it is perfectly natural that she should. The only way we can make the men give us what we really want is by asking for a great deal more, so that they will think themselves lucky if we compromise on what we originally decided to have. Here, here, said the girl with the Roman nose, making an entry into her notebook. I've been acting on that theory all my life, but I never thought to formulate it. Pardon me for the suggestion, but I hope you are not in the habit of leaving that notebook around where any man can see it. 
It wouldn't make any difference if I did, dear. I went to such a fashionable school that no one but myself can ever read my chirography. I can't myself if it was written long enough ago for me to have quite forgotten what I said. Then you needn't be uneasy about any old love letters which have not been returned. Not at all. Nobody could tell whether I had written a promise of undying affection or a recipe for hair tonic. I do wish my father had sent me to the same school. Pshaw! Old letters don't tell half as many tales as old photographs. I know a girl who had been engaged to a man who returned everything she had given him except one photograph. She couldn't refuse to let him keep it when he begged so hard. He had probably lost it and didn't know how to account for its absence. No, he hadn't. Well, six years later, she became engaged to another man. I fancy she must have told him some stories about her age. It's always better to understate rather than overstate a case. So my old nurse used to say. Well, when she was about to be married, her old lover sent her a beautiful present, and with it an envelope addressed to her fiance, which she should have opened herself. He happened to be present when the box was opened, dear. The envelope contained the photograph taken seven years before. Why didn't she say that it was a picture of her elder sister? She did, dear. What really caused the trouble was her own name and the date on the back of it, coupled with the statement that it was taken on her twenty-second birthday. Oh my goodness! How sly men are! And to think that never, as long as she lived, could that girl tell him what she really thought of him? No, she used to say that sometimes she regretted that she hadn't married him. Oh well, he is probably married to somebody else by this time, anyhow. Though I doubt if his wife would fully appreciate the enormity of his behaviour, since it was toward another woman. Never mind. People are sure to be punished in some way or another. I wouldn't get up early on Sunday morning and go to church if I did not firmly believe that. Goodness me! It must be awfully late, girls. And I promised Tom to adjourn early and meet him downtown. I do wonder if he's been waiting for me all this time. I've seen Jack. Said the girl with the dimple in her chin as the friends went down the stairs. Met him on the street this morning, and I suppose you hurried right on and never said a civil word to him. Indeed, I didn't. I called after him to wait for me, and and I suppose he thought that I had told you to talk to him since you were so eager. You needn't tell me a word that you said. I don't want to hear anything about it. Did did he look sort of hollow-eyed and worn?、Mm, I can't say that he did. But he said that he thought he must give up chafing dish suppers. I should think he must have bad dreams," said the blue-eyed girl viciously. He he told me that he had called at your house the other day, and I suppose you let him go on thinking that I meant that message for him. A nice friend you are, Emily Marshmallow. Why, Dorothy? I you don't surely mean that you explained it all and actually let him think that I wanted to apologize? Well, if anybody had told me such a thing of you, I never would have believed it. No, I didn't. I didn't say a word. For just then, Francis joined us, and if you are clever enough to get a private word with any man after Francis sees him, I am not. End of chapter six.